listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luke chapter number 9 is where we were. Last week, we heard Jesus ask what I would argue is the most important question that, uh, that everyone will have to answer. And that is a simple question. Who do you say that I am? In, in Luke chapter 9, verse, beginning in verse uh, 18, we may or may not have that ready to go, but if we do, here's what I read. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with them and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, well, John the Baptist, most, most popular answer is that you're John the Baptist having come back to life from being beheaded from, uh, by King Herod. But others say Elijah, and then there's a few that say that you're one of the prophets of old that has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answering for them all said, the Christ of God. According to Matthew, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Last week we said that all true Christians must have an accurate confession of who Jesus is. If, you're a fo- if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a child of God by faith, then you must have an accurate understanding. And that understanding then turn to confession. Because with the mouth, confession is made unto righteousness. What is the, Who is Jesus? Well, he's the promised Christ. He's the promised Messiah. He's the promised King of Israel who will set up his throne and his kingdom will reign forevermore. He is the unique Son of God who has suffered and died and been raised from the dead. He is... God the Son, the Eternal One, the second person of the triune Godhead, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is the God-man, fully God, yet also fully human. And He is the exclusive means through which one is made right or reconciled to God. He is the exclusive way, the only way, the only truth. The only life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. You say, Pastor Kevin, you found all that in that one little text right there? No, no, no. The disciples didn't know much of that. But they knew this. Jesus was the one whom God had promised to come and fulfill the promises made through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. They recognized him for who he was. And much of what we understand, because we enjoy the completion of the New Testament, they did not know at that time, but over the course of the next few years, through the movement of of Jesus in his departure and the Holy Spirit in his coming, they would all come to understand just exactly more fully who Jesus is. But we know him because we have the New Testament and we understand those things that have been, that have been taught and, and revealed to us by God through those who have written down his word. But we said last week that being a follower of Christ, while it begins with a true and accurate confession, there's more. 
And I invited you to come back this week to find out what was more. Because you're, you're thinking right now, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more than faith in Jesus? No. There's just more to the faith in Jesus. Let me give you a few presuppositions before we pick up and move forward with, with what Jesus had in this exchange. These are five presuppositions, five things that I want to make sure as we move forward today that you have solidified in your mind, you have anchored in your heart, and, and so that you know that no matter where we go, we're not going to cross over any of these presuppositional truths. Here they are. Number one, salvation of sinners, you and me. Salvation is the act of God's grace made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation is only and completely an act of God on your behalf and mine out of His grace. We don't deserve it, and God gives us what we do not deserve because of his great love and because of his great mercy towards us. And it is made possible only by the death and resurrection of Jesus in our place for our sin, victorious over death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. Number two, a sinner, you and me, can receive God's salvation... As a free gift only by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the act of God's grace providing a free gift that we can receive. We can't earn it. We can't work hard for it. We can only receive God's free gift of salvation by faith only in Jesus through his death and resurrection. Number three. Salvation is in no way dependent upon human works. You can't work to get it. You can't work to keep it. You can't work to sustain it. It is completely separate from your ability. Your human works play no part whatsoever in salvation. You stand before God redeemed at the point of your death or when Christ returns, you'll stand before him having nothing for which to offer him that you provided yourself as a part of your salvation. No human works. Here's where it gets tricky. Number four, faith is not just The mental assent, the belief, or the confession of facts of who Jesus is. It's not words repeated in a prayer stance. That is not faith. Let me say it again. Faith is not just the mental assent. So, who is Jesus? Jesus Christ. Who, who is he also? He's son of God. He's God's son. It's not just the mental assent to facts. Uh, think about, if you will, your middle school, high school days. You went home, you crammed a bunch of stuff in your mind. Teacher gave you a test with some blanks on it, and you wrote on the paper most of 
those spaces. You wrote what the teacher wanted you to write. You knew the answer. You may or may not have believed the answer. If you, if you went to uh, state-sponsored schools, you may have had to answer things about the creation of the universe, but, but you know that it wasn't created, it was just exploded into existence. Right, okay, that makes total sense. But you write it down, why? Because that's the answer they're looking for. You knew the answer, doesn't mean you believe it. Same way with faith. Faith is not just understanding and being able to repeat things, and it's certainly not just words stated in a prayer. You can get a drunk man in a drunken stupor to repeat after me. Brother, do you want to live like this the rest of your life? No, I don't want to live. Will you repeat these words after me? Sure. I know I'm a sinner guy. I know I'm a sinner guy. You You can get someone to repeat. Hey, you can get a child to repeat words. That's a very dangerous thing. That's why when, when folks come to me and they say, hey, my four-year-old is wanting to get baptized. Listen, your pastor tries to talk the four-year-old out of being baptized. You say, why in the world would you do that? Because I know that kids want to please their parents. And if the parents believe things strongly enough, the kid also wants to believe. And if the parents are like, don't you want to receive Jesus? You don't want to go to hell when you die now, do you? And they're like, no, I don't want to. And so they'll be talked into things that they might be able to repeat. They might even say to you that they believe that. But I'm cautious about baptizing them until they're looking at me and their little whatever, however old they are, going, Pastor when you going to baptize me? I need to be baptized. Why you need to be baptized? Because I need to tell the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, we'll fill up the water. Okay, let's do that. But apart from that, you can talk somebody into saying a lot of things for a lot of different reasons. That's not faith. That's not salvation. Here's a presuppositional faith, uh, presupposition number five about belief, faith, and salvation. Here it is. You ready? Faith is an accurate understanding, belief, and confession. You're saying, slow down. Look, it's on the app. It's on the Oasis Church app. Download that thing. Notes are right there. Boom. Faith is an accurate under... And I know I could do a lot better. I could put... You could put it on the screen, couldn't you, Pastor Kevin? Yes, I could. If you, if you cared enough about us, you'd put it on the screen. Why, why y'all put me on the spot like that, right? Yes. Faith is an accurate understanding, belief, and confession of who Jesus is and why he was crucified and risen. And it includes obedience and submission to him. Embracing his way of suffering to glory. You say, Pastor Kevin, are you saying that we're saved by faith and works? Nope. I'm saying that we're saved by faith only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And faith looks like an accurate understanding, a belief in my heart, and a confession of who he is and why he was crucified and that he was raised. And it is also the submission of myself to obedience to him, seeking to follow him, and embracing his way of suffering to glory. Well, let's just see what Jesus said. Verse number 21. 
He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Tell what? That he is God's Messiah. He's the promised king. Don't tell folks this. Why, why in the world not, Jesus? Why don't you want us to tell, up, tell them that you're the king? They'll follow you. I know they'll follow me. But they'll follow me with a misunderstanding of my mission. They think that I'm here now to set up God's kingdom, to remove Rome and every other oppression out of the way, and that they're supposed to be the the kingpin of the world again. They're misunderstood. Don't tell them. I've come for this reason. Verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And the disciples hearing this for the very first time. What? But if they had thought about what the prophet Isaiah had written hundreds of years earlier about the one who would come and by through through whose stripes we are healed, the one who takes on our iniquities... The one who was pierced for our transgressions. But they weren't thinking about that. They were liking all the other passages about the rule and the reign and the sovereignty and the majesty. And Jesus says, you're forgetting about the suffering. The mission of Messiah goes this way. Suffer to be glorified. Suffering first, then glorification next. And while they were still scratching their heads... He blew their minds a second time. Listen to what he said. Verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." He blew their mind not because this was a hard passage to understand. In fact, I will argue that, that while I'm going to explain this passage, you don't need me to explain it. It makes pretty good sense just having read it. It just goes against what we like and prefer and maybe have been taught For years and years and years. And that is this. If you'll trust Jesus as your Savior, if you'll just recognize that you're a sinner in need of salvation, and you will just turn and call on the name of Jesus and say after me, God, I know I'm a sinner. And the crowd say, and and I know that I need a Savior. And and I call on you in in, in the name of Jesus on the death and resurrection of your son to save me and make me one of yours. And you you are all Christians. Fill out this card and, and mail this in and we'll be excited and we'll put on the screen. A thousand and forty-five people were saved at the event this weekend. And, and, and that's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, follow me. If you read in the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you, if you've never read through the Gospel of John, man, that'd be a great thing to just start today. Just We talked about on Wednesday night. You know, we got to set a time. To, students, are y'all, did y'all set that time? I'll set a bunch of y'all over there. Y'all said, you still got a few days before Wednesday. Set that time. Well, you set the time. You set the place, and then you decide on the book. If you can't decide on the book, then pick the book of John. It's a great place to start. If you read through the book of John, you will find in chapter number 6, verse number 66, you, you prophecy folks, don't, don't get all wigged out. That ain't 666. Okay, the, the, the chapters and verses, they, they're not inspired, okay? Just, but it just ha- it's a good way to remember it. John 6, verse 66 says that there were many who were following him that turned away. You know why? Because the things he was saying was more than they wanted to put to practice. Well, they liked the idea of him being Messiah. They liked a Jesus fashioned in their image. But they didn't want to follow Jesus on his mission. And that, folks, is the nutshell of salvation. It's, It's getting who Jesus is. And knowing in your heart, that's who he is. I don't care what the world says. This one was crucified and got up at the grave because he's the second person of the Godhead who was incarnate, set aside his godness, whatever in the world that means, so he could be like me, so he could die in my place and for my sin. And he let his creation kill him. Why? Because he loved me and gave himself up for me. And they killed him dead put him in a tomb and on the third day them ladies got there and discovered he was gone he got out of that grave victorious and he spoke to a whole bunch of folks that if they were still alive would tell you yeah i saw him a bunch of us at one time and he went away saying i'm gonna come back and get you but while i'm gone i want you to go throughout all the world and i want you to tell everybody about what you've seen and heard about me and them fellas did it and they've got record of it and folks have been following it ever since and we're waiting on jesus to return i'm confidently assured that that's who he is and why he did what he did but salvation requires me to submit myself to him to lay the keys to my life at his feet reporting for duty lord where are we going today I might know exactly where it goes, but you know what it's going to look like? In some measure, it's going to look like a walk to the top of a hill to suffer. Knowing that glory comes after suffering, but we don't don't like that. That's why we stop with the half gospel. Half gospel don't save. Half gospel will make you think you're saved. And unfortunately, maybe you've got the half gospel in this church before. I hope not since I've been here. But you know what? Maybe there have been times that that I've given the half gospel. Half gospel don't save. The gospel is faith that moves. Let's see what Jesus says. I know we don't need to explain it, but we've got a few minutes. Let's use them. If anyone, verse 23, would come after me, let him deny himself now y'all know they're writing this that 
you know, they, it's all masculine, right? Ladies, don't be offended by that. They just didn't get it, okay? You're a part of that. Even in their writing, it's, it's all inclusive. It's mankind, okay? So just say, deny herself. And it works. That's what they intended. It's just not how it's translated. What does deny yourself mean? Well, the word that's translated to deny means to refuse to pay attention to. It's like how you treat that one cousin that's never got anything worth listening to, right? You just, I know he's here. He's at the reunion. Nobody listened to him. Okay, he's talking all the time, but we just, we deny him. It's like, okay, I hear the noise, but I ain't paying any attention to it. I'm disregarding. And this word also means to renounce. It's a strong denial. How do I deny myself? For, for, for many decades following the, the pinning of these words and the distribution of words like this, there were many in the church that took these words to deny themselves to mean that they were to, uh, that they were to, to, to cause themselves physical pain. They were aesthet- aesthetics. They lived in the monasteries. They, they didn't talk. They wore hair sweaters that itched because they were, they, they thought Jesus was saying to treat yourself badly. That wasn't what he was saying. There are some wacky things you can read in church history that people would do to themselves thinking that's what Jesus wanted. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to cut off my ear. I'm going to poke out my eye. I'm going to do all kinds of weird things. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying in two part, I believe, he's saying, number one, that when we follow him, if we're going to, I believe what you say, and I believe who you are, and I'm going to come after you, Jesus says, then you need to renounce any confidence in your own righteousness or ability to attain to God's holy standard. You need to deny yourself the thought that you've got it together in any way whatsoever. That's a part of salvation. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers, they couldn't take Jesus because they had spent their life trying to build a resume of their goodness. And Jesus time and time and time again goes, and here's why you're not good, and here's why you're not righteous, and here's why you're a sinner, and here's why you need forgiveness, and here's why you don't have it all together. And they were just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, Jesus, you don't get it. He goes, of course I get it. I'm the one who said it. And they refuse to deny their own righteousness. Well, then you, you can't come to Jesus because you've got to deny yourself. I, 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 don't, I don't have anything within me that's of, of any merit whatsoever as far as it is attaining to God's holy standard. So that's the first aspect of denying yourself. But the second, I think, in this particular context is that we renounce our earthly expectations Now, hold on to this crowd, all right? You ready? I need you to hold on and let Jesus' words sink in. Not mine. Let Jesus' words. We need to renounce our earthly expectations and our right. We use that word a lot here. And these good old United States, we use that word rights a lot. I, I renounce my right to chart my own path or follow my own agenda. 
Now think about how we even, uh, we reinforce the negative of this with our children, even in the Christian realm. Because you know what we ask them all the time? We say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then we tell them, you can be anything you want to be. And we're followers of Jesus. And you know what we're telling them? Accept Jesus, ask him to save you, and then go do what you want, even though Jesus says, that ain't the way of salvation. I don't think it's like sinful to say, hey, you, you're looking at all the vocations out here. Like, what, what, what of them like really excites you? You know, and the kid says, well, you know what? That, that whole idea of being a police officer just really excites me. I, I've, I've heard Mike Cannon tell me that story. You know, I just always have felt like that's what I should be doing. Well, you, you know what? God can be involved in that. But we're putting him in the driver's seat instead of ourselves. Denying yourself means that you say, Jesus... I know that this culture that I'm living in has expectations of one's successful life. Good job, good spouse, nice house, couple of cars, vacation two, three times, a, 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 good, a good responsible bank account, a few investments, a dog or two. You know, I know what the expectations are. God... I want to follow your son. And and I remember what he told. We're going to see him here in just a few little verses. When someone says, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he looks back at him and goes, oh, really? Well, foxes have holes and, and, you know, other animals have places to go to. But the son of man, I'm homeless. I have nowhere to lay my head. You you sure you want to follow me? We, We say, God... There's a lot of things I want, and I know there's a lot of expectations, entitlements that I have, but you know what I'm going to? I'm going to set them down. I'm going to deny myself the opportunity to chart my own path, to, to carry out my own agenda. Do you realize that we all came in this building today with an agenda? You realize that? We got one. And, and, and we might even be sitting here going, yep, that's right, Pastor, that's right. And, and we have become so accustomed to knowing it's true, but then just practically living out our own agenda. Unwilling to change our plans. Hey, we're having this. Would you be willing to sign? No, I can't do that because I've got this going. And I, oh, okay. Now, understand, I know that there are things that have to be done. But how much stuff really has to be done? I mean it. Gavin's going, he, going, he don't want to, but he's going to figure out how to do this thing. And we're going to lay it out there and say, hey, let's, 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 let's go. Let's talk to some folks. I wonder how many of us truly are followers of Jesus. We'll go, you know what? If my brother's just going to do it, I'm going to go do it too. He was terrified. I can be terrified. See, this is where it gets down to the, ru- uh, the rubber meeting the road, right? He says, you lay down your right to your thing. You say, what is that? Well, what is your things? What's well, your plans, your ambitions, your career, um, your, your talents, your sports? I don't say this a lot. I think this a lot, and I don't say it. All right, but this, this is going to be, well, this might just make some of you mad. It's okay. You know I love you. We battle in this nation Christian parents who who claim to follow Jesus. And understand, 
we, we all engage in recreational activities, okay? But there is a battlefield right now in this nation that's being played out on the ball field. We got parents telling their kids that we love Jesus and we follow him. But we never engage with the body of Christ. You know why? Because we're chasing a college scholarship that 9 out of 10 of them ain't going to get. We're chasing a professional career that can I just be ugly for a minute? I probably don't know anybody who's ever going to play on a baseball team at the big league level. I probably don't. You know, somebody's going to show up and say, ha ha, I got it, and they're going to make me, and it's fine. Congratulations. But you know what we're telling folks? You, you think what I'm saying, they're, they're gone and they're not coming to church because you want folks in church. Look, I, I don't care if, if folks are here listening to me. That's not, that, listen, I, I will do you very little good in your life, okay? I will let you down. I will make you mad. I will not be there when you need me like you want me to be there when I, when I, and look, I'm going to fail you over and over again. But God is going to lead you in the way you should go. If it ain't going to be here, it needs to be with the body somewhere. And I'm just telling you, we're grown-ups calling ourselves Christians, leading our kids down the way of destruction. We're teaching them to believe some stuff and do what you want to. I was waiting on amen. Didn't get it. Let's move on. Okay. Didn't mean it, but I'm just kidding. Deny yourself means to say no to what you want and yes to what he wants. Isn't that what he was telling the disciples? You know, and they looked at him, not in this particular uh, uh, gospel. They looked at him, they were like, well, Lord, we left everything. We left our house, we left our wife, we left... I left daddy holding the boats. He's been mad at me for the last three years, me and my brother did. Well, what about us? And Jesus goes, good job, boys. Hey, come on, keep following. We ain't there yet. Keep on following. It's suffering first, then glory. And the glory is going to far outweigh the suffering, but we'll get to that in a minute. Deny yourself and then take up his cross daily. This literally means to pick up the cross assigned to you and take it to the place where you will be killed on it. See, we, we look at this verse and we think about the cross as difficulties in life and, and things that happen that, you know, aren't as exciting as other things. And, oh, man, they're not able to do this and that happened. And, and yes, we can apply it to all those minor things in our life. But the disciples heard this very distinctly because they had seen the Romans execute people on a cross. And it was brutal. And you'll notice that Jesus did not tell them that I was going to be killed by crucifixion. So they probably thought Jesus was just using like the worst example he could have used. Oh, okay, he's going to, I don't get why you're going to be killed. And maybe somebody's going to stone you or maybe somebody's going to, you know, rub. I don't know. Maybe they're going to stab you or whatever. And now you're talking about me following you need, means that I should voluntarily pick up a Roman cross Having done no wrong and just walk it up that hill and let them kill it. Jesus, you've seen folks be crucified before. How could you say that? He knew where he was headed. 
And he knew for, for those 12 individuals right there in front of him, to continue following him in their life could very well mean that very same thing. And in fact, if you'll read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you will discover that legendary history. I say that because it's, it's passed down, but, but it's, it's more legend. You know, there's no hard, in fact. But, but, but legendary history tells us a number of these apostles gave their life, a few of them, through crucifixion. Jesus said, look, everybody wants to follow me for what I can give them. Few want to follow me for what it will cost them. What I'm asking you to do is trust me. You, you get who I am. Now, deny the, the tendency in you to chart your own path, to lay out your own agenda, to do what you want to do with your life when you grow up. Look, just deny that. Just take that, put it in a box, and lay it at my feet. And then you, you just say, you're going to do what I want you to do. That's where you start. But understand, doing what I want you to do means the willingness to pick up the instrument of death and walk all the way to it. You say, Pastor Kevin, that's heavy. Should you be saying all those things with the kids in the room? Listen, there are people worshiping in places like China right now. In the basements in the middle of the night. With the lights all out, having walked for miles and miles and miles just to get to that place where they can sit around and, and in whispers sing about the love of Jesus. And they're looking at one another saying, we might be imprisoned, we might be killed, but it's okay because we're in Jesus' hands and we will be with him forever. And they're looking in the eyes of their children and they're saying, don't you worry. They may kill you, it may hurt, but it'll only be for a little while. And then you'll see him and you'll be glorified with him. Follow Jesus. It's submitting to the possibility of death, homelessness, imprisonment, family and social rejection. Physical and emotional pain and stress and et cetera and et cetera. Meaning I'm embracing this if that's where Jesus wants me to go. He's not saying that you need to be some maniac that wants to suffer. No, he's saying if that's where I lead you, won't you be willing to follow me there? And he's led them there by the thousands and the world thinks that they would stomp out the message of Jesus. But with every drop of blood that was shed in the Colosseums and out in the jungles and wherever out in the streets they were taken and beaten or shot or burned, you know what grew and could not be stopped? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because where there is suffering, you cannot stop the glory. Even though it hurts. But just for a little while. He said, take up your cross. That cross right there is what causes folks to go, okay. Mm. I feel like I'm at, a, I'm at a crossroad. I got this way to go. It's, it's hard. I got to take that with me. I got to be willing to die on that thing. It's hard. It's kind of narrow too. Looks a little crooked. 
Looks like it might not be so easy to follow. Or I got this road with no cross and it's easy sailing. Oh, I might have a flat tire every now and then. I might hit a pothole. Somebody may jump in front of me, but basically I got plenty of room to maneuver and get to where I want to go. Jesus called it the wide road and the narrow road. The wide road leads to destruction, but that narrow road, it is hard and it is hot and it very well could be a road to death. But you know where it ends up? I'm going to say some words. You ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. And come on, get in here. It doesn't mean that you've got to die for him to receive that introduction. But it does mean you got to pick that cross up and, and know that at any time he may want you to die on it. It, it may cost you a promotion. Because you simply won't deny your Savior to do what's asked. It, it may mean you won't get this, that, or the other. Because they won't let you have the time to go and take the gospel to the place that God has called you to take it. Even if that's just for a week every couple of years. You say, I can't do it. It may keep you from investing in this because you say, well, I can't do that. And also support these things that God just keeps burning in my heart about these ministries that I want to be a part of. But I never have enough money for because I'm putting it in stuff that I could sell and invest like I know God wants me to. You see where I'm going? Second Timothy 4, 6 to 8 says this. Paul's telling Timothy he's, he's in prison. He's just about to be executed. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Y'all remember that, students? We learned about that on Wednesday night. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knows he's probably not going to make it out of this cell. And then what he says, I fought a good fight. Most of that fight, you know where he fought it? In prison, shackled to Roman soldiers, not being able to tell about the gospel that he's wanting to preach about. He's just having to write it down and send it to some churches and hope that they get it. Thank God they did. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, Timothy, not just me, man, but also to all who love his appearance. Hey, hey, Tim, I got your attention, Tim. Look, they're about to kill me. Enemy's going to tell you they'll do that to you, Timothy, if you keep following after what Paul taught you about Jesus. And I'm telling you, let them. Let them do it. I'll have my crown. I'll be waiting on you to get yours. Let's do this thing to the end, Paul says. He called it in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, light and momentary affliction. This brutality that he's experiencing. He called it a oh, mere flesh wound. Oh, it's nothing all that big. Ah, oh, wrap it up. We'll keep going. I mean, he's brutalized and beaten. That's light momentary affliction. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. He's saying, Bill, I know it hurts right now following Jesus, but it ain't nothing to what it's going to be like when you look him in the eyes. So just take it, man. 
Just take it between the eyes and turn the other cheek. Let them shoot you in the back if they want to. All that's going to do is to get you in the face of your Savior faster. The last thing you need to do is tuck tail and run. Because the weight of glory is, look, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. I'm not saying this as somebody who's got it together and wants to charge hell with a water pistol. I know I'm a coward and a weakling. But I pray to God when the moment comes that the spirit in my ear will say, stand up. And I pray that I'll be willing to go, yes, sir. I hope. That's my hope. Peter puts it together in 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. He says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter says, look, suffer for a little bit. Take it to the grave if he asks you to. Because when he does, look, you, you, you know who will be knelt beside you, inviting you to wake up in glory? The God of grace himself. But I want to be a millionaire. Okay. Because he goes on to say, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's a pres- this was a present tense verb. It's a, it's a daily, it's a, all the t- it's a right now. Follow me right now. And he gives a defense for it. He says, verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Defense number, here's why you should do this. It's a paradox. It don't make sense. The world's looking at you and saying, I don't get it. And they go, I know, God does things like that. It's the way he does it. He died for me. I don't know. So he says, look, if, if you choose to take the wide road in order to save your temporary life, then you're going to lose it all, the glory. And there'll be no glory in that temporary life. Or you can choose to lose this life and trade it for something far better. So how do you experience God's glory to the full? By laying down your life as a sacrifice like Jesus did every day of his life all the way to the end. Jesus says defense number two. Let's talk about money, y'all. Verse 25, what's it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Mark says it forfeits his own soul. Jesus is like, you guys need to understand, if you could own it all, just imagine that you're the king of the world and you own it all and you forfeit your eternity. What good has it done you? Dead man can't play with stuff. Dead person can't go on trips. Or you could set aside all that maybe you could make in this life and trust what I have for you, having served me. And then he talks about honor and shame. For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words. Why does he say this? Because... 
for the, the, the Jewish people that were beginning to recognize who he was. If they embraced him as Messiah, they were going to be shunned from the synagogues. They were going to be dishonored in their community. And that's an oriental culture. I know that they're not how we normally think oriental, but it is the orient, that, that area of the world. And honor was a big deal. To be dishonored meant that you were considered outside, a no one, to be disregarded. Jesus says, if you don't follow me in order to maintain your honor, if you're ashamed of me so that you're not being ashamed by the community, then of, of me, whoever's ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You say to me, Lord, Lord, but in that day I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You were ashamed of me when the time was being asked, who do you say that I am? You were ashamed to say it and to follow me. When I return, what you will have is your social and familial honor intact, but you will experience the shame of the one who could have saved you and would have if you would have simply confessed. Set down your life. Pick up the cross. May lead to death, may not. But it will certainly lead to a measure of human suffering. And follow me. Because my way ends in glory. Or you can seek the glory here. And have eternal loss. So I told you, it makes perfect sense. But it ain't about making sense of it. It's about whether we're going to receive it. And obey it. It's a, it's a progressive growing thing. You say, Pastor Kevin, I, I, I try and I stumble. Look, he knows that. You know, babies learn to walk and they tumble over and they fall. Toddlers stumble. Hey, I'm about to be 50. I stumble every now and then, right? I trip up over, over my own feet sometime I stumble. He gets that. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking about a decision that leads to movement. He's not asking for words said with your hands folded around a bunch. Look, it may happen that way, but it happens by faith, believing and following. Just some warnings for the church, and we'll get out of here. Warning number one an accurate confession of Jesus is empty words if you're not embracing his way I think a fellow by the name of James in his second chapter said something like faith without works is that's what he meant and then embracing Jesus is not doing just more Christian things it's not about reading more devotionals it's not about listening to more podcasts or coming to church more although do those things because it's helpful it's about going my life, my agenda, my thing. God, I want you to use my thing. I, I want you to, what you've given me a passion for, I want you to use it. But if he says, I would rather you do it, then yes, sir. It's not about me, it's about you. And Lord, I'm going to pick up his cross today. 
I don't know what it's going to lead me to, but wherever you lead me is what I'm going to carry because I love you and you're my Savior. That makes sense? That's what faith is. Do you know Jesus by faith? Who do you say that he is? Who are you following? Heads bowed. Eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Well, this is... Well, the enemy would love for us to just gloss over this and go home. Listen. There is no shame whatsoever in someone today saying, Pastor Kevin, I've had a word's faith all my life. My my, my faith in Jesus has been all about things I've said about him. I, I don't think I've ever really laid my life down, given it to him and said, I want you more than I want me. I, I don't think I've ever even thought about him wanting me to pick up a cross and follow him. Pastor Karen, I, I think I know a lot about Jesus. I don't think I've ever said, I want to follow you. The good news is you can follow him today. And you ain't got to raise your hand. You ain't got to look at me. You ain't got to come up here and talk to me. It's right where you're sitting. It's just you talking to God, saying, God, I've believed a lot about Jesus, but I ain't never followed him. I don't want to follow him. There ain't nothing in this life that's going to satisfy like he will. And it might hurt, but it's going to lead to his glory. God, I I want to follow Jesus best I know how. I just want to lay my life down. I want to, whatever it means, pick up that cross. I just, I want Jesus to lead me daily. In the morning when I get up, God, I want to, I want to say, Jesus, what do you want from me? You know, when, when, when lunchtime comes and, 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 and folks are making plans, I want to say, God, what you want me to do? When promotions come around and, and they say, sign up for that. You need to take that. I, I want to go, God, what do you want? Is that going to be beneficial for your work in my life? Opportunities that arise. God, I want you. When, when, when you're asked to, to step in and, and, and fulfill a, a, a role in ministry, say, God, I, I don't think I can do it, but they're asking me, and if you'll help me, I'll try it. When it comes to somebody you know is not a follower of Jesus, he said, God, I know you want me to tell them about you. I'm scared. Give me courage. You can do business with our Savior right here, right now. But we got some folks over here at the, at the cross. To your left, and it's all about, and when we stand up, everybody's going to keep their head bowed and their eyes closed. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, but they're standing over there, and you say, well, what happens if somebody, they're praying with somebody, well, we'll call them some other folks, come over and pray with you. If you'd like to have somebody just spend a few minutes with you, when we stand, with the heads bowed and eyes closed, when we stand, you, you just make your way over there and pray with them. If that's too, if that's too public, out open, you say, I just want to hang around and kind of wait till everybody's talking and I won't come talk to Pastor Kevin. It'll just look like he, I just won't tell him about something. And really what I'm saying is, can we talk about this? That's perfectly okay. Let's do it. Maybe you're watching online. And you say, how would I do that? Well, jump on that email. Shoot me an email. Say, can we talk about this? We'll do it electronically, over the phone, whatever it takes. 
Who do you say he is? Let's stand together with heads bowed, with eyes closed. Father, you know that much of my life as a follower of your son looks a lot like I I believe things about him, but I'm leading my own life. You you know that 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 has always been a struggle for me because I think that's just the way I understood the gospel. Believe these things, get saved, and then, and then go, go, go do a good job. Whatever you're going to do, just do it for Jesus. That's not at all what the gospel is. Well, I, you know that, that, my des- not, that my desire is not to confuse those that are truly your children. So, so those that truly are saved by grace. If the enemy's taking your word and, and, and my inability to explain it well to try to tell them that they're not saved well you you just bind him and give them freedom from that but God if if there are those who don't know give them the courage to hang around give them the courage to just call out to you and surrender God we need your help daily to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow your son. May this afternoon be the first step down that road for every one of us. God, may we take those steps with confidence. May you renew our passion and desire to be totally and completely given over to you. Thank you for salvation that's ours by your free gift. And thank you for Jesus who paid for it in his precious blood. We thank you for his resurrection that proves that that payment has been received and that it will redeem. We look forward to the return of your son. God, I pray for those that are hurting this weekend on the 20th year away from one of the darkest days in our nation. We know there are evil people that are desirous to hurt us as a nation. I pray that you would uh, keep them at bay, if that's your will. We pray that you'll give us a confidence, not first and foremost as a patriot, but that you would give us confidence as your children. That we would trust you no matter what, that we'll be representatives of your son in any and every circumstance we find ourselves in. God, we love you. We thank you. We look forward to the return of your son. For it's in his name we pray. And all the voices church said, Amen.